Blog Talk Radio. to deal with. I get it, but that's going to be a lot of what we talk about tonight in addition to other things. So, Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the incredible Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. She's phenomenal. So that's wickedwitchstudios with an S dot com. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, my brain is, is just, I am ha- okay, so here's why I'm having a meltdown. I am having a brain fart with the name of Mansion and Cinema, okay? They are destroying my brain. I am telling you, all of these rumors and lies, in addition to that, all these rumors and lies about COVID, and people saying not to get the vaccination, my brain froze from the stupid. If any of you are, are friends of mine on Facebook, you noticed that I posted yesterday or the day before the stupid it burns. It does burn. It burns. It short circuits your head. I'm just telling you, be careful. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on my buddy, the one, the only, the incredible pagan pundit himself. The amazing Talzin Govannon. Hello, my friend. Hey. How are you? How have you been? Hey, hey, hey. I am doing groovy. I am speaking to you and to everybody out there in Internet land uh, from the fireplace room of my new home. Uh, we bought it at the end of yeah. last year. It needs some work. Yep. So, uh, you know, we're, we're having uh, work people coming in over the next uh, probably four to eight weeks. However, right now I have been spending a lot of days Cleaning out crap. The people who owned this house before us built the house in uh, 1978, so the house is actually younger than me or my wife. Uh, but they lived there for 43 years. The woman who lived here, I think, didn't throw a single thing away. I have found uh, publishers' clearinghouse entries uh, in various filing cabinets and bags dating back 30 years. Uh, but basically. Wow. Uh, the the woman who lived here passed away. The man who lived here didn't couldn't really live on his own, so he's living in assisted living to be closer to his daughters. His daughters are supposed to clear the place out. They got about half, and so I've been going over the last few weeks, coming over here for three four days at a time, and just throwing gobs and gobs of stuff away. And let me tell you something: as somebody who's been an inveterate collector of crap over the years, this has completely. <laughs> 
realigned my chakras when it comes to shaving crap. Uh, because I took a look here. I mean, this the, the woman who lives here doesn't look like she took away a single birthday or Christmas or anniversary card from 40 years. I found hundreds of these things. And they were saved for wow. all these years. And this guy, you know, he moved out. I mean, they, they he must have taken the 20 photo albums that were stacked in the living room when we came to uh, to look at the house. Um, but I, I just look at all this stuff. And I was talking with my wife, saying, you know, this woman saved every single birthday card, every single Christmas card, all the stuff that you think you're just supposed to save. And yet now what's happening, they're being dumped by the dozens into a trash bag because, you know, they couldn't, you know, the people who they would have mattered to had no use for them. And it just really made me think. So as I move into the new house, it's ironic that we are going to have more space to store crap than we've ever had and yet I'm going to be paring down my ridiculous uh, collections of crap even more because in the end, you know, I mean, does, is anybody going to care about that science paper from the third grade that my mom saved in her baby book? Not even my own kids. Let's just be, let's just be honest about this stuff. So I'm, I'm trimming down right. a hell of a lot. So I'm, I'm more than happy, though, to take a chance to sit down and talk politics and talk books and talk all this stuff with you people because, yeah, it's really cool to hang out in this house by myself, but, man, I've been working my ass off. So now it's time to sit down. I already had a pre-show pipe, and so I'm ready to chat. (laughs) Awesome. Well, before we get into the politics and all of that, let's talk about your writing. What is going on? Well, I am still working towards having the Queen out in March. That is going to be book three in the Sorceress Saga. As a matter of fact, those of you who take a look at the calendar uh, are going to find that I have a special show in March that I'm going to be doing here on Desperate House, which is where I'm not going to be talking about politics, but I'm going to be talking about the occult novel and about how my occult novels fit in with a grand tradition. I mean, most people forget the fact that the first book written on modern witchcraft by a modern witch was not a how-to book. It was not an encyclopedia. It was not an anthropological book. It was a novel called High Magic Shame by a guy named Gerald Gardner writing under the pen name of Skyker. And there's a grand tradition in occultism from people like Dion Fortune, Aleister Crowley, all the way to Ray Buckland and Stuart Frere and beyond, people who put real magic, real witchcraft into their works of fiction. And that's what I'm doing here, putting real paganism uh, real magic into my books. I mean, in, in The Witch, book two, I took all my characters to the Starwood Festival and had a big climactic mm-hmm. part of the story happen around the Starwood bonfire. Um, and yes, people who know the Starwood organizers can read that and go, hey, I know who they're talking about there. But anyway. Um, uh-huh. and, and so, you know, and, you know, and, I'm, and I'm just, you know, I've, I've got a, a brand new series that I'm putting up on the website on talismg.com. There's a section on free short stories. It has more stories in the uh, urban fantasy universe that the Sorceress Saga takes place in. I've got a couple of brand new characters, uh, a cursed witch named Sarah and a vampire named Stephanie, although she goes by the name of Stevie. Uh, These are some very old characters of mine. Uh, Some people actually may recognize a version of the Sarah character that is in my novel, Imperfect Love, which was the Wicked Romance novel I did before I started doing the urban fantasy stuff. 
So, and I'm bringing these characters yep. into the urban fantasy universe. So you can read three short stories uh, featuring Sarah and Stevie, as well as Angelique and Vincent and all of your uh, favorite types of characters. And very soon I'm going to have a major uh, Trevor Hawkins story going up there called The Ghost of Solstice Eve, which was an exclusive for my Patreon patrons for 2020. But they've got a new story for 2021, so I'll be releasing that soon as well. So lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, awesome. I'm very glad to hear that. Very exciting stuff on the horizon. And, yes, um, when I get the new book cover, there will be an event posted for Talison's special episode in March. Uh, it will yes. not be on his regular night because I wanted to make sure that it was recognized as something quite different. So once I get the book cover and all that greatness, I will go ahead and create that episode for everybody, and it will, of course, be on the Desperate House Witches page, not to mention Twitter and the Instagrams and all that goodness as well. So, yeah, talk to me about what the fuck is happening in politics. (laughs) I am freaked out. I do not get it. I don't know why Cinema and Mansion are still even members of the Democratic Party. I don't understand what's happening with the filibuster. I keep hearing that it's about to die. What is going on? Well, what's going on here is that Manchin got a much, much harsher blowback from even his own constituents in West Virginia after he pretty much uh, pronounced the whole Build Back Better bill as he got a much worse blowback off that than he expected, including from some of his corporate donors, believe it or not, because they think that some of the things in that bill would have benefited them. And, you know, certain things in that bill would have benefited business interests because, you know, if you're, if you're putting money into roads and bridges, well, guess what? Private businesses are going to be doing the work. Uh, so there was a, there's mm-hmm. a harsher than expected blowback from that. There is a suspicion in the works that the uh, that the one option, the face-saving option for Joe Manchin is being put back on the table again. Now, I've before said that the face-saving tactic for Joe Manchin, after he's gone on record so many times saying, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster, there's two things that can happen. They can either continue to carve out special exceptions for the filibuster, mm-hmm. which is what the Republicans did, or they could go back to simply changing the rules to where you still have a filibuster, but only the talking kind, where you actually have to stand in front of the Senate and talk constantly, uh, and if you stop talking at any point and no one's there to take over for you, your filibuster is over, which is really, you know, the idea, you know, that kind of filibuster really, really worked in the, in, in the chamber because it was really the kind of thing that was only brought out by a minority when they were really, really feeling strongly about something. It wasn't something they did all the time. Certainly nothing that would be done to every single piece of legislation that comes through the body. Uh, when they turned it from a talking to a silent filibuster, that's when it really started getting abused. And so there's a lot of talk going on that one of these two options is on the table, the main thing being voting rights. That's always been something that Joe Manchin has tried to use to maintain his spot in the Democratic Party. And, of course, the John Lewis voting rights bill 
is something that's been being held up by pure Republican obstructionism, and that's something that Manchin would really like to see get passed and passed through. Mm -hmm. So the talk going on right now is either they're going to carve out an exception for the John Phillips Voting Rights Act, basically to have an exception where the filibuster can't be used in dealing with election law or something like that. They can really do whatever they want with the filibuster, by the way. It's not in the Constitution at all. It is only part of Senate procedures that can be changed with a simple 51-vote majority. So they could decide that the filibuster can't be used for any bill that has a vowel in the title. I mean, they could literally do anything they want, but it's far more likely that they're going to try a carve-around for the Voting Rights Act. And this would be major because a lot of the stuff that Republicans are trying to do to mess with election laws uh, following the uh, following the post you know 2021 era, the post January 6th era, a lot of these things would be called into serious question and probably outlawed by the John Lewis John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And the, the Voting Rights right. Act, the new one was was specifically crafted to survive a Supreme Court challenge, even from this court. So getting the carve around for that would be as Joe Biden said about Obamacare, a big fucking deal, because that's one way of taking the country back from the angry minority that's currently holding us all hostage, i.e. the Republican Party. Don't forget, folks, it's not half the party, it's not half the country that are Republicans. Uh, It's not half the country. Uh, It is uh, about uh, 28% of the country and falling all the time. So, you know, those are the, those are wow. the rumors going around right. Those are the rumors going around right now. I would personally love to see them just come out and say, "Okay, you can have the filibuster, but it's got to be a talking one." Uh, but we don't know if Manchin's there yet for that. Uh, they may they may uh, say, "Well, you know, we'll do this if you do that." There's some deal making going on here. Uh, just know though that Chuck Schumer knows exactly what the stakes are with a lot of this stuff. He knows how to apply pressure. He knows how to go between threatening and bribing. Uh, Chuck Schumer's not an idiot. He really knows how to pull the parliamentary strings of the Senate. And by the way, so does Joe Biden. Don't forget, Joe Biden was a creature of the Senate. And Biden and Schumer have been talking about a lot of things that they could do to try to get this legislative agenda moving forward. So I really don't think you're going to go very many more weeks before you see some kind of carve-out around the filibuster, especially for the John Lewis Act. Uh, that's what I would keep an eye on regarding cinema and mansion. And let me tell you something, too, folks. If you're really sick of mansion and cinema, what we've got to do is we've got to elect a few more Democrats to the Senate and not lose any. Because if we had two more Democrats in the Senate, if we had a 52 to 48 vote majority Mansion and cinema would be irrelevant. We wouldn't need them for jack shit because 50, Kamala Harris breaks the tie, it passes. So if you're really pissed off at Mansion and cinema, uh, donate to, to races where, you know, the Democrats actually have a chance. Uh, the Democrats are nominating a guy named Tim Ryan in Ohio uh, for, the, uh, for the Senate seat. That's going to be an open seat here, uh, you know, with the uh, – coming retirement, uh, and, you know, it, with, with Portman's retirement. And so 
Mm-hmm. Tim Ryan is the kind of Democrat that can get elected in Ohio because Ohio is a weird state. It, you know, even though it went mm-hmm. for Trump in the last two elections, if you have a good old-fashioned blue-collar working-class Democrat who can talk good old-fashioned blue-collar working-class Democrat language, you know, unions, wages, health care, that kind of thing, Sherrod Brown has proven that that kind of person can win in Ohio and win fairly easily. So uh, even if you don't have a competitive Senate race in your state this, this year, uh, take a look at the ones that are competitive. Throw some green to Tim Ryan or one of the other Democrats who could take one of these Republican seats and flip them over to blue. Because if we can get two more, then we basically solve a lot of our issues. Mm-hmm. But how likely is that, Talzin? Well, that's the, that's the problem is that a lot of people are freaking out over Virginia about the fact that you had a state that went for Joe Biden in 2020 and yet in 2021 a Republican manages to win the governorship. And, of course, all the pundits are coming out and saying, that's it. You know, the Democrats' days of, of benefiting from Trump alienating people are over, yada, yada, yada. Of course, I went over the last time I was on the show, I went over the fact that uh, usually New Jersey and Virginia go to Republicans whenever Democrats win the White House. And it's happened that way for over 40 years. And the fact that the Democrats only lost Virginia and they kept New Jersey is actually a pretty good showing. And part of the, one of the reasons why the Republican in New Jersey did so bad is because of Republican voter suppression. Only it's not suppressing black and brown voters the way that we're used to. It's the fact that Donald Trump has convinced a solid majority of registered Republicans that the 2020 election, uh, the outcome wasn't real, that it was stolen. And what that does, though, is that it doesn't necessarily motivate these Republicans to go out and try to take more races or take more governor's mansions or vote in this or that. It basically makes them go, yeah, until we have this big, Trumpian revolution, it's no use to vote because our votes aren't going to matter. It's how the Democrats managed to win both special election Senate seats in motherfucking Georgia. Just don't forget that, folks. Democrats won two special elections in motherfucking Georgia, and everybody is mm-hmm. saying that, tr- that Trump going on and on and saying that Georgia wasn't a real result, that it was stolen, yada, yada, yada artificially suppress the Republican vote just enough so that the Democrats could win those special elections. And this is still going on because, like I said, Trump hasn't given this up. Uh, And the fact that, you know, the QAnon people haven't given this up, all of the various right-wing propaganda places, not just Fox, but even the more hardcore Trumpy ones like OEN and all that stuff, they're they're all saying the exact same thing, that the 2020 election was stolen and your votes didn't count. Well, that's the thing about Americans. If we don't think our vote's going to count, we're not going to show up. That's one of the reasons why we have such a low rate of voter participation. And, yeah, Trump brought, you know, in 2016 and 2020, Trump brought Republican voters out who would sit out elections when Trump wasn't on the ballot. It got proven in 2018 uh, when Trump went out and stumped hard for his candidates, and they still lost. And the thing is is that Trump is out there trying to push his candidates over and over again. 
And even in places where his candidates are losing the primary, they're still drawing enough of a audience. Now, the thing is, is that once these primaries start happening now, once you start seeing these Trump-endorsed candidates going up against these establishment-endorsed candidates, and make no mistake, the Republican establishment is pulling out all the stops to try to make sure that they've got a Republican running in every single open race, and the establishment is trying to choose who those candidates are. Uh, and I'll tell you, in mm-hmm. some areas of the country, they're failing. The Trump candidates are cleaning their clocks. In other areas of the country, the Trump candidates aren't doing that well. The problem is, is and this is one of my predictions, and it's not a very bold prediction. A lot of people could see this coming. But you just watch. Once those primaries start happening, every time a Trump-backed candidate loses, I'm going to start waiting. I'm going to pop the popcorn and start the the countdown clock waiting for the first one to say that they were robbed, that the primary was rigged, that there was voting irregularities, everything out of the Trump playbook. And what that's going to do is that, okay, let's say you've got a Trump Republican and an establishment Republican, and the Trump Republican pulls 25% of the Republican vote, and the establishment guy gets 75%. Well, then the Trump guy says that I was robbed, this was stolen, this isn't legitimate, and all of a sudden 25% of the Republicans who voted in the primary are not going to bother coming out to vote in the general because the the guy who's there for the Republican Party is illegitimate in their eyes. And you're going to see this. You're going to see this in big races. You're going to see this in small races. Even if the candidate themselves don't say it, their followers are going to say it. Anybody who supported these Trumpian candidates are going to say it and they're going to suppress their own turnout. And, again, most of these uh, – hold on one moment. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. I have been – I've been, I've been in closets where there's, like, 20-year-old dust in there. So if I sneeze, excuse me. Uh, but really, of course. the thing is, in a lot of these – even these gerrymandered districts, even these ones that were drawn to favor Republicans – there aren't too many of these, and I brought this up in the last election, why deep redistricting is so important, because most of the gerrymandered uh, districts that favor Republicans are not ones where they're going to have a lopsided effect. Like, you see these areas where, like, the Republican gets 80% of the vote, the Democrat gets 10%, and the other 10% is scattered throughout all these other people. That isn't the norm. That is actually the exception. The vast majority of gerrymandered districts are gerrymandered to give a comfortable 3 or 4% advantage to the Republican, uh, not a 30 or 40% advantage. So if you have a quarter of registered Republicans who are willing to vote in the primary, and let me tell you, willing to vote in the primary is the hardcore. So if you've got 25% of the hardcore sitting it out, and they're bitching and complaining, convinces any degree of the rest of the party to sit it out, all of a sudden that 3 or 4% Republican district is a toss-up. And it could even wind up leaning Democratic. So variance, small variances in Republican turnout matter. They matter a lot. And so keep an eye out. I think we're, we're poised very well because of the fact that uh, – the, uh, the court case, uh, one of the prosecutions of uh, a Trump CEO, uh, Alan Weisselberg, the trial for him 
uh, for fraud con- connected to uh, the Trump uh, business is going to start in September, literally about six weeks mm-hmm. before Election Day this year. So anybody who needs to be reminded as to what kind of a fucking crook Trump was is going to be reminded every night on the news. And between that and the Republican crazies and the infighting and the arguing, which is still going on, you, I mean, I've heard mm-hmm. stories that you do not want to be in the Republican caucus room in the House these days because it's getting bad. Ever since Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked off Twitter, she's really been pissy to everybody else in her caucus who she doesn't think supported mm-hmm. her enough. Uh, she's a Trumpian. Go fix um, but, you know, I think that we can take, I think we can increase our majority in the House. I think we can increase our majority in the Senate. The important thing is going to be, though, is for Democrats to turn out. Because, you know, Democrats who don't turn out elect Republicans. you got to turn out, even if yeah. your guy doesn't win the primary, even if your person doesn't win their particular individual primary race, even if you don't like the Democrat who's running, uh, it's important to vote for the Democrat because the Republicans are a party that's dedicated to ending democracy in the country. So if it's a choice between yeah. voting for somebody that maybe isn't your favorite and, and not voting for somebody who's going to stop the ending of democracy, you know, it's, it's just really, we, we got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over our whining and our bitching and that kind of stuff because the stakes are a lot bigger than the stakes are really big for the country. So Democrats have got to get over our own shit. But I really, you know, again, the, the, I'm seeing very, very encouraging signs. It's just there's going to be a lot of up and down. There's going to be a lot of back and forth here over the next, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, seven fucking months. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, or actually, no, uh, actually, uh, no, actually over the next ten fucking months. I forgot. November is the is the 11th month. Uh, so over the next yeah. 10 months, you're going to see a lot of up and downs. Just remember that whenever the mainstream press is talking about Democrats in disarray, they're going off of an old script. The people who are really in disarray are the Republicans. And I'm actually predicting that we may see Kevin McCarthy quit the Congress before the year is out, just because he's so tired of trying really? to balance. Oh, he's... He, he's he, he's sucking up to the to the Trumpins, but he also always really wanted to be John Boehner. Uh, but John Boehner got the fuck out of Dodge because he couldn't deal with crazies anymore. And I, you know, I you're going to see some high level resignations from the Republican Party, uh, possibly before the election. But let me tell you, if they if it's a bloodbath and a shit ton of Republicans lose their seats. Um, you're going to see a bunch more of them just decide to get the hell out of Dodge because it'll be obvious that whatever they think they can do to try to get their party back from the Trumpkins isn't going to work, and it's not going to work. The Republican Party is the party of Trump, and that's all it is to it. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, before the end of the year, you're going to see some people who've been around for a very long time uh, decide to quit. It's no, And also some of them are trying to get the hell out of Dodge they don't get caught up in all of the various investigations and uh, grand juries. I mean, Devin Nunes is leaving his seat, uh, and yep, you know he's not even looking back. So that's unbelievable. Yeah. What about McConnell? Isn't his time about up? 
Are we not about done with that bastard? I mean, seriously. I think that if McConnell doesn't get the majority back this year, I think he may hold back and try to give it one more presidential cycle to see if he can get into power again. But if he, if the Republicans fail to regain a Senate majority in 2022 and 2024, then I'm predicting the day after Election Day of 2024, Mitch McConnell is going to announce that he is retiring at the end of the year because he lives in a state where there's a Republican governor and they'll, they'll appoint his replacement. But, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's having a hell of a time right now because he – and, and I'm, I'm reveling in the problems he's having because they're entirely his own fault. But uh, he was always worried about taking on the Trumpkins. Uh, he's been trying to strike this balance. He would really, really love if uh, a federal prosecutor were to charge Donald Trump. He will love it if the state of Georgia charges Donald Trump. He will be glad if any entity charges Donald Trump with a felony because McConnell wants to get Trump out of his party, but he doesn't have the guts to do it himself. And he doesn't even have the votes anymore to do it himself because he played nice with the Trumpkins too much. And there's too many of them in his caucus to, uh, for him to really be able to wrestle control back uh, unless he can get the majority back and he can start playing a hardball as a Senate majority leader. Uh, but if he can't do that, he's not going to be long for the Senate. It's no fun for me. So if he's in the minority, it's no fun for him. All right, but earlier you said that the Republican Party is dwindling and that their numbers are becoming fewer and fewer, right? So I don't understand. If that is what's happening, why do we have so many of them in power and poised to try to, you know, how do they have enough steam to fight us as much as they do? Well, a couple of things. Uh, A lot of money, although that's starting to dry up to in ways that uh, that they haven't thought of. That's another thing that's giving McConnell vapors at night is the amount of uh, high-powered donors who are kind of getting miffed. Uh, there's, there's a rumor going around that Dick Cheney was pissed off at the way his daughter was being treated, so he made one phone call and wound up losing the Republican uh, the Republican House Election Committee uh, cost him about $20 million in donations because he got pissed at the way they were treating his daughter. So, uh, you know, the, a lot of the old – oh, yeah, that, that's, one of those, that's one of the stories floating around. Of course, the Republicans are trying to say that's just an anecdote. That didn't really happen because they're afraid that mm-hmm. if they start – the rumor starts getting around that they're losing Darth Vader, then that's definitely going to hurt them even more. You also have to understand – that the way that elections are done in this country with districts, with our voting laws, with voter registration and all that, the entire U.S. system has been geared more and more over the past 20, 30 years or so towards trying to drive down the amount of people who are voting. Uh, because let's say mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of these states, there's, there are states in the South, that if they had honest districts drawn without regard to party or partisanship, um, there's a good chance that Texas could very well have a majority of Democrats in their legislature. If they just went with population, uh, purely drawing Mm -hmm. maps based on population, 
in places like Texas and Georgia uh, and definitely places like Florida, you would see Democrats pretty much running a lot of state government. Uh, maybe not so much the governorship, uh, but you would see like the state legislature, the state Senate, you would see a lot more of that. But with gerrymandering, creative districting, uh, and let me tell you, it's no wonder why Barack Obama decided to focus so much of his post-presidency on trying to get districting reform done, redistricting reform, uh, because of the fact that, I mean, to give you an idea of how the Republicans can still keep in power, even though they're a dying party, um, you see, I'm I'm moving to a town called Warren, Ohio. Uh, it is right next to Youngstown. It's part of the Rust Belt. It used to be a pretty prosperous city along with Youngstown back in the 50s and 60s. But once the auto plant started moving out, uh, it started going downhill economically. Uh, that's, where I'm living, mm-hmm. right, that's where I'm going to be living as soon as we move. Um, my current house is an hour to the west of here. And it is in a town called Barberton, Ohio, uh, which is another blue-collar town. Now, right now, my representative in Congress is a guy in Barberton is a guy named Tim Ryan, who's going to be running for the Senate this year for the Democrats in Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's how I know Tim so much, that he's a you know, solid blue-collar, working-class kind of dude. In fact, when he ran for the Democratic nomination, I called his, his office uh, four weeks in a row asking him to please drop out, <laughs> just because... You know, we needed, you know, if we were going to have a traditional Democrat, we needed someone like Joe, uh, someone who was a known quantity. Um, but the thing is, is sure. that I am about to move an hour east, and my representative in the state of Ohio, once that happens, is going to be Tim Ryan. Because there is, there is a – Tim Ryan has a barbell district where they drew a big circle around – Youngstown and part of Warren, the part of Warren that I live with. And then they have this long strip that goes about 20 miles. And then you have another barbell that goes around uh, Southern Akron and Barberton. Basically, even though these two houses are an hour apart, I've got the same representative because they tried to draw to make sure they could have maximum Republicans. And having Youngstown and Akron, even though they're separated by an hour or an hour and 20 minutes, if you're talking Youngstown proper, they're separated by an hour and 20 minutes of driving time, and yet they're part of the same congressional district because both Youngstown and Akron are solid Democratic cities. So you see, those are the kind of reasons why Republicans can still stay in power, which is why things like the nonpartisan redistricting rule that Ohio voters passed a few years ago is going to wind up being so important uh, because that means that Tim Ryan is going to get to run. Well, he's going to, he's going to be the senator, but whoever the Democrats pick to replace Tim Ryan, he's going to have a district that actually looks like a district and doesn't look like a barbell. And we'll have a separate district between Youngstown and Akron, which means two members of the House from Ohio instead of just one. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the many ways that Republicans maintain their grip on power, which is why I really don't join in anymore when I hear people say things like, well, gee, with the old South, with the old Confederacy, is it too late to let them go and form their own country? Because we see all of the yahoos and the fucking morons that Republicans pull from those regions. 
But the thing is, is that mm-hmm. I don't do that. I don't make those jokes anymore because these are not red states. There are very few red states. You want to know who the red states are? You're talking Louisiana, Mississippi, those mm-hmm. kind of places. Every place else, right. including your own, your, including the Carolinas, north and south where you reside, these are actually blue or purple states that are being occupied by a minority that is attempting to mess with the laws any way they can to hold on to power. So we don't need to get rid of the South. We need to liberate the South. And I think that that's going to be a big clarion call. Once we actually wind up uh, getting a decent majority in the Senate uh, again, then I think that needs to be the next clarion call of the Democratic Party is not only reelect Joe in 2024, but also liberate the South. Let's go out there. Let's get the voting. Let's get people registered, no matter how difficult the registration rules are. Let's get people registered. Stacey Abrams showed us how you can do that in Georgia. They tried to make it very hard to register people in Georgia. And she's like, okay, well, we're just going to raise enough money that we can do all, jump through all the hoops that you put before us any fucking way. And so that's the model that we need to do because we've got large swaths of this country that are being held hostage a literal political minority. And we've got to work as we can to break their stranglehold on these places. And the country is way less divided than the modern media would have it play out in many realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Democratic I ideas agree. are popular ideas. We just have to fix the system. Yep. Boy. I mean, we've talked about fixing the system Dude, we talk about this every cycle, all I know. the time. Why is no one listening? This is what I want to know. Why is no one listening? Why are we so unable to affect change? I got to tell you a really quick story. I have, okay, so you know I work in North Carolina, and I related this story the other day, but I want to tell it to you now. I had a gentleman come in uh, to see me about something he needed done, and he was wearing a mask, sort of, and I was wearing my mask, and he's like, well, you don't have to worry about me. And I was like, oh, why is that? And he's like, because I've already had COVID. And I'm like, what? He says, yeah, I just came from the doctor. He says, I'm fine. I'm like, holy shit. So you're potentially yeah. carrying COVID and you're carrying it to me. Well, that's really nice considering I'm immunocompromised. So I'm not going to say what what party he is from, but let me put it to you like this. Yeah. yeah. Two hours later, the gentleman, I had sent him a quote for some work, and he approved it, and he called me and he said, I'm so sorry. I was going to pay you for this right away. However... Uh, During the course of events this morning, my truck got broken into, and uh, among the things that were stolen was my wallet, and the other thing that was stolen from the the seat was my gun. So I'm not going to say what party he's from. I'm just going to sit here and let you whistle until you get it right, which will take about a half a second. So we're still seeing, you know, that blatant disregard that these old folks seem to tend to want to continue to propagate on the rest of us 
It's quite disturbing in my opinion. The gentleman knows that when you're out in public, you're supposed to wear your mask correctly. He also, I would assume, in some reality knows that you never leave even a licensed gun. You don't leave it laying out on a seat without your person being next to it. So, I don't know. I, 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 I have a lot of concerns about my fellow person, especially my fellow person in North Carolina. <laughs> I just, you know, the the stupid continues to burn, I'm just saying. Well, you know, that's the thing, too, though, is that, uh, you know, I, I know people say that I'm the eternal optimist, but really you need to take a look as as frustrating as it can be to deal with our cohorts in our generations, whether – you're a frustrated yeah. boomer or a forehead-slapping Gen Xer, as some of the stupid I see come out of guys, the mouths of guys my age, okay? I mean, I'm sure Gen mm-hmm. X, and I will always say that the, the sin that Generation X has to atone for is we made uh, complete cynicism incredibly fashionable uh, and, and pretty much socially okay in a way that it really hadn't been before, and I think we're still dealing with that kind of rampant cynicism. The thing is, is that... No matter how much you or I may look at our the people around our age or you know that kind of thing and just shake our heads, um, there are new generations coming up. I'm not just talking about the millennials. I'm talking about the Z, the millennials. And millennials are getting to the point where they're going to start making their presence known a lot more because people, you know, the, the media likes to make out millennials like they're a bunch of college or teenage slackers. Uh, but the oldest millennials are turning 39 this year, okay? I mean, they're damn mm-hmm. near near mm-hmm. 40. And that tends to be when generations start making themselves felt a little bit more in pop culture because by that point, they've gotten to whatever position in whatever company they're in, whether it's entertainment or anything like that, uh, or they've finally gotten to the point where they're making enough money in their life to be able to affect things in a way that they haven't been able to in their 20s or 30s. Um, and I'll tell you, the millennials and especially the Gen Z, these are people who are not looking at things and going, oh, well, what's the point, which happens way too often with our fellow boomers and Gen Xers. The people go, oh, well, what's the point? You know, the whole thing, oh, they're all the same anyway. You know, political hipsterism, I'm an uh, expert, I never touched a boom, yeah. and all these other things that these guys wind up telling us about themselves uh, inadvertently. Um, but, you know, that's not so much present in these younger cultures. I mean, my son just turned 18 last year, and he asked me the yeah. other day, you know, my wife asked me the other day, saying, we got to get this boy registered because he's been talking about wanting to vote. Um, you know, of course, growing up in my house, it's not hard to understand how that could be an emphasis, but it's not just him. It's other people their age. And you know what? Yeah. You're, starting to get, you're starting to get the first waves of Gen Z people are getting to the age where they can vote. And these are people who have grown up with people power on the Internet. These are the people who are used to being able to do something and they see fucking results from it. Um, they, they're not so used to tapping their head against a large blunt object because it feels so good when it stops, which is kind of like political activism in the 80s sometimes. Um, and so <laughs> these, these kids are, you know, they're just like fucking A. We just got to fucking do this shit. You know, oh, you know, it's like you say yeah. it's difficult. Okay, well, we'll find someone who says that it can be done. And so I'm really saying that, you know, again, you know, there's going to be a lot of torques passing going on from here. Um, 
as with most other things with our generation, I don't really think Gen X, uh, we're having a very brief time in the sun to be able to affect pop culture, but in many ways we're generation next. We're the ones sandwiched between the boomers and the millennials, so it's no wonder that a lot of news stories just kind of leave us off the timeline altogether when they're talking about generations. Yeah, that's okay. We're used to that. But, you know, it's like, you know, there is big change coming, and there's change coming uh, in good ways and bad ways, and there's going to be some ways that it's going to be very stressful, and we all know the ways that the change coming up can be very stressful. Um, we're human. Mm-hmm. We're always good at finding that dark cloud for every silver lining. What I'm saying, though, is that the people who have the most to lose are taking notice and are really giving a shit way more. So, again, you know, changing the system, how do you do that? Well, for one thing, you've got to put people into the system who don't have a vested interest in keeping the system the way it is. You've got to have put people mm-hmm. into the system who want to change the system because there's only so much. And I'll tell you, baby boomers have proven one thing to the rest of us way more than anything else is that for all of the noise that was made in the 1960s about the Vietnam movement and the women's movement in the 70s and the anti-nuclear movement in the 70s, baby boomers have affected policy way more since they started getting involved in the system than when they were on the outside shouting and throwing stuff. And so it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to change the system from inside than it is to try to force the change from the outside. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of, I mean, I've seen young people online who are inspired by AOC, and they're saying, man, as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to run for office in my local area. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Who, amongst you, who amongst your friends, when you were back 17, were saying, I can't wait until I turn 18, because then I can run for office? It didn't happen. Not at all. Not even for my generation either. So I'm saying, things look bleak. And if we had to completely depend on our cohorts in our own generation, I would probably be investing in a lot of booze and a lot of good wheat, because I just want to numb the pain for a while. But I'm saying, though, is that the yeah. generations, the generations that have grown up with the Internet, the generations that have grown up with a, with a national viewpoint, knows that things like health care and taking care of people, making sure people aren't homeless, making sure people don't go hungry, these are all things that other countries have done with no problem. We can do it. I mean, hell, there's a meme that got floated around on the Internet, and it's completely true that at one point, Finland decided that they were going to end homelessness, and they did several acts, mm-hmm. and they and they did and they basically wiped out homelessness in their nation within a 12-month period because they decided to do it. This is the example that these young kids are being brought up with. They're not being brought up with the example of you can't fight city hall and you know yada 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 and no, they're being brought up with the idea that this shit's possible. It's happened elsewhere in the world. It's just people have got to get their head out of their ass and demand it, and they're starting to. So any of us who want to have uh, allies in this fight to change the system, start looking to the young people. Bring them in. Make them feel empowered. And uh, we can see a lot happen. Uh, and you know, like I said, when, we, when it comes time to try to liberate the South, we are going to need thousands of people going door-to-door across the entire region registering people to vote, making sure that people are registered. If they need a ride to the polls, make sure they get a ride to the polls. 
do whatever they can. Well, guess what? A lot of these young idealistic volunteers are going to be 18, 19, 20 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And so if we really want to change things, we've got to look to the youth. We've got to stop wagging our finger at them, acting like they have it the same way we did. You know, not only do people today not have it as good as the baby boomers, they don't have it as good as the Gen Xers. And we came of age mm-hmm. in the 90s. We came of age in the 90s, mm-hmm. dark and cynical time, and they still, we still had it yep. way better than people yeah. today have it. So, you know, it's like, you know, we've got to reach out and we've got to empower these people because that is going to be the foot soldiers for us to take the country back. So true. You know, and it's the same thing in, like, pagan circles as well. You know, everybody wants to jump on the young young folks and give them a ration of shit. And I'm like, y'all need to get off these people because they're going to save our asses. You better understand, uh, nothing they're doing is hurting you or your practice, and that is a true thing. So you're going to have to get over it and let the young people lead because, quite frankly, a lot of us are getting way too fucking old and need yeah. to take a seat and let the young folks take over. And, yes, they are going to stumble and they are going to make mistakes. But guess what? Without our support, nothing will change, and we need to be there to encourage them, not just spiritually, but politically. It is all yes. the same thing. I'm just yes. telling you. I've bitched yes. about this so many times. I have just turned 60 years old, and I am telling you right now that if I had to deal with the level of bullshit as a young person that folks have to deal with now, I would have stayed in the broom closet for the rest of my fucking life. So y'all right. need to back off these people, encourage them, and help them instead of trying to slap them every time they said something I don't like. You know what? Right. I haven't met another human in this lifetime, and even people I love dearly. Someone is always going to say something you don't like. You don't excommunicate them. You don't toss them out of your family. You have to understand that not everyone is your carbon copy, nor should they be. End of rant. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Oh, yeah. And And I'll tell you, I mean, I just saw something recently today, somebody on my Facebook list, my much smaller Facebook list these days, since I uh, started my new account. Um, And, uh, yeah, I know, but I used to have like 2,000 people on there, and now I've got under 400. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely a lot more choosy these days on my social media. I don't do politics on my personal Facebook profile anymore. Uh, If you you see my personal Facebook profile these days, it's all about funny memes about writing and vampires and cats and that kind of shit. And that's most of what I do these days. Um, But I'll tell you, just earlier today, there was somebody who was just really fucking indignant writing this post about saying that I have friends named Karen, and if you use the word Karen for an insult in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to unfriend you because it's just not fair. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you're so fucking missing the point. I mean, the thing about it is people rail about cancel culture. We don't have cancel culture these days. What the kids are embracing is something known as consequence culture. In other words, 
what mm-hmm. you do, what you say, it has consequences. So that's why when uh, somebody like uh, Gavin Frost died from the Wiccan scene, uh, you saw some people mm-hmm. try to say, oh, well, Gavin and Yvonne Frost were you know, teachers and elders. They were trying to do the whole whitewash. But no, there were people who were willing to say, uh, Gavin Frost used to advocate the sexual penetration of 14-year-olds with dildos ritual. Uh, he never... And he, and he never said that wasn't a good thing. He died trying to justify writing that shit. And they weren't going to let it go. And you know what? They shouldn't have. And I joined in there saying, yeah, this was, this was, there was some awfully sick and hinky shit. And after a while, the only reason that they could get booked into places like Serious Rising anymore was because they'd work for little or nothing. And that's usually Serious Rising's favorite prices that cost them little or nothing. And any other festival they went to because they were willing to take little or nothing for going there. Uh, and so you had some people who tried to whitewash the whole thing. But people stood up and said, no, this guy was highly, shall we say, problematic, and he should not be given mm-hmm. a pass. Like when Kenny Klein died, everybody came out and basically said, fucking good. The guy was a pedophile and a pervert, and he hurt a lot of people. So, you know, that's, but the thing is, it's consequence culture. And so when you hear, a younger person say, fine, Karen, have it that way. They're not insulting your friend Karen for fuck's sake. They're calling out privileged, arrogant behavior that they see on behalf of older people who are way too wealthy and way too privileged to understand what the world is like trying to give their opinions on said world. And like, or even the phrase that I know rankles some folks in your age bracket, the whole okay boomer thing, but the thing is, is that you yourself can point out the problems with boomer culture the way I can point out problems with my Gen Xers. And, okay, boomers just kind of yeah. like saying, okay, you're, you're typifying all the absolute worst tendencies of your generation, and I'm just going to basically give up arguing with you because you are obviously got shit for ears, and I'm not going to waste my time. And so it's like, but that's, it's like it's consequence culture. It's calling people out for their bullshit and not taking simple platitudes as an excuse or an answer. And these are the things that we need to embrace because consequence culture is what's going to allow to make sure that someone like Josh Hawley is going to wind up getting to, uh, you know, shine Alex Jones's shoes in jail uh, or the poorhouse because Alex Jones is down to the level of couch surfing the last I heard. He is yeah. so fucking broke. So, yeah. And, uh, and so I've is heard Richard that. Spencer. Yeah. Richard Spencer is also yeah. surfing. He, he has been so horrible, you know, and this is another thing people are doing. It's like, oh, well, we can't get these people put away. We'll sue them because civil cases have a lower standard of proof than uh, criminal cases do. And, again, you wonder why is the New York DA doing a civil case against Trump for taxes? Because if Trump takes the fifth in the criminal cases that are aligned against him, you can use taking the fifth against you as an admission of guilt in a civil trial. So if they don't bleed him in jail, they can bleed him financially. That's how he got rid of Al Capone. So, you know, there's a lot of things coming down. And so don't, you know, people who say, I don't like cancel culture, that usually means that somebody who they like got called on their shit and they don't like it. It's No, it's not cancel culture. Republicans have been trying to cancel people for years. This is consequence culture. And this is, you know, the problems coming back to bite people in the ass. 
Interesting. Very interesting. A lot of food for thought there. A lot of things I didn't know. I mean, some of the names you mentioned are not names I'm even familiar with. So I'm probably going to have to go back and review this because a lot of those <laughs> names are not names that I know. Um, but I, you know, I have to admit, as as a young pagan, I was very much sheltered. There was no internet, and I had a group of older adults around me constantly. I lived with my mentor, his wife, and the rest of our extended family. So I always had an auntie or an uncle to go to and say, is this right? Is this wrong? I mean, I was, I'm, I'm very sheltered. I admit that. I know that it's a fact. Um, I don't shirk it. I don't make excuses for it. I was lucky. Most people are not. So, I mean, but there's, I can't do anything about the way I was brought up in the craft. So I apologize um, for folks who did not have it as easy or sheltered. Like the sexual abuse is not something that ever touched me. Um, right. I was very protected. Um, and, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart that, that members of the community um, have committed these crimes, especially in a place of, of sacred trust. You know, when I was coming up, I put my life in the hands of my mentor, literally every single day. And I was fortunate that that was never abused. I was never, um, uh, you know, groomed for being any kind of a sexual slave or any other kind of slave for that matter. And I, 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 I put myself in a position where I was pretty damn lucky that I had honorable people around me. And it breaks my heart to hear how many folks did not have uh, an honorable experience. So that makes me very, very upset. Very upset. I worry uh, about well, that. Yeah, and, then, and the thing is, is that, you know, and, and, and all of the predator uh, tendencies that some of these guys exhibited are just so textbook which is why it's important to always make sure to make sure that younger people in our community know that they can be heard if they speak up because predators look for the ones who are cut off. They're looking for the ones that nobody's yep. going to believe. And they're very good yep. at signaling these people out. So if you always make sure that young people in your community have an uh, ear that they can bend when they need to, that makes them less vulnerable to these types because there's somebody who's saying, well, you know, he says he wants to take pictures of me, and it's going to be at a festival, so it could be topless. And it's like, yeah, only do it around a group. Don't let him take you into the woods alone. And if you had said that to Kenny Klein, he would have said, oh, I don't have time to photograph. So it's like, again, you've got to be there to, for people to run stuff by because somebody may not understand all the ways that these people try to wild their way in to communities. Uh, so it's important to always be yeah. there so that people have, you know, a, a, an ear to bend. So yeah, yeah. There there have to be consequences for predators. There just have to be. Yep. And Absolutely. you know, we have just we have let these things slide because we have wanted to trust. Listen, I was naive. I was trusting, um, and in non-pagan in non-pagan circles is where I got taken advantage of and harmed. Not in pagan right. circles. So, you know, when you want to trust so badly because you feel like 
this person is teaching you and this person is giving you a kind of a belief that, oh, no, no, you can trust me because I'm your spiritual fill-in-the-blank, um, that's a very vulnerable position. And I, I wish more people were able to be let themselves be in that vulnerable position, uh, but there's just too much hinky shit going on in the world, and it's unfortunate that even in our communities we have to be concerned that that this is going on. I, I, there's just got to be more reckoning about this whole abuse, this culture of abuse that got handed down by several over the decades. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, you know, but it it concerns me. It should concern us all. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you, I mean, I've been getting, you know, my wife and I are watching Star Trek Discovery and Lower Decks on Paramount+. Plus. We love this show. I've been getting way back into my Mm -hmm. love for Star Trek again. But, you know, I can't forget the fact that since his death, we found out that Gene Roddenberry was one of these people using a position of power to get sexual favors from the women who worked under him. Uh, and in fact, one, uh, uh, Grace Lee Whitney, who played Yale and Rand, uh, wound up washing out of the first season uh, because of a sexual assault that took place, and now we found out that it was Roddenberry who did it. So, and that's the thing, too, is that we're wow. in a place where we, we have to learn how to balance these things. Yes, I love Star Trek. Um, of course, if you learn, learn about this stuff, you'll find some of the coolest things about Star Trek had nothing to do with Gene Roddenberry. Uh, both the Vulcan nerve pinch and the Live Long and Prosper hand sign, both inventions of Leonard Nimoy. Uh, in fact, I think in many ways yeah. Roddenberry kind of Roddenberry kind of got to coast on the on on the uh, accomplishments of a lot of the people around him. But he was a talented writer, but he was also a horrible human being in other ways. And that's one thing I think too that this next generation coming up is going to be much better able to handle than we can because of the idea of, well, you know, the, 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 the next generation of musicians and actors and authors and all that, these are all people who have grown up putting their entire lives on the Internet. And if they were ever 14 years mm-hmm. old and put out something but as stupid online, guess what? They're going to be 30 years old celebrating their third movie, and that's going to pop up again. Um, and so, you know, it's being able to separate the art from the artist is a skill that the boomers and the Gen Xers, we've never been able to master. Uh, we have, you know, mm-hmm. very uneasy uh, relationships with things. Um, and it's like, you know, it's, it's like one of those things. It's like, well, I still have my Woody Allen VHSs and I have some of my Woody Allen DVDs um, and that kind of stuff from before I knew that he was such a curve. Um, but, you know, just, you know, being able to separate from the art from the artist is very difficult, but I think the younger people are going to know how to do it better because they're going to have more artists who get stung by it. So, you know, it's like yeah. uh, we're going to see, see how that goes. But, again, it's consequence culture. It's the consequences of your action, and you don't get to skate on it just because it happened a long time ago. Yeah. See, that whole, oh, it was years ago. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> that just aggravates the living shit out of me because a lot of the times my abusers got that kind of a pass 
because, oh, it was so long ago. And it's like, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter if it was 50 years ago or five minutes ago. The fact of the matter is I was abused, and the end result is still the fucking same, except for the fact that if it happened five minutes ago, I would probably have been able to handle it better than I had to handle it for the last 50 fucking years. So that's the gradient difference on that. Uh, Yeah, I cannot stand this this whitewashing, as it were, although that's probably a bad term for it, but this attempt to rewrite history into a much cleaner version than what it really was. That just pisses the shit out of me. Well, let me tell you, you're going to love this story, then. You're going to love this story. I was on another friend's thread on Facebook recently about talking about one of these things, and they tried to do the whole, uh, it it was so long ago, can't people just let it go? I looked at this guy's thing, and he was wearing a MAGA hat. So I said, well, the Civil War was a long time ago. I said, well, the Civil War was a long time ago, and you guys haven't been able to let that go. He blocked me. It was perfect. (laughs) Oh, jeez. You just call out bullshit like nobody's business. I love that about you. It is one of my favorite things that you do. You do not abide bullshit. You do not let these fuckers get away with a goddamn thing, and I love you for it. I do. <laughs> I still do that. When I see somebody like posting something, say, oh, my God, look at the top ten from 30 years ago. The music today is so bad. Underneath there I write, okay, I get it. You're old. You don't have to say anything more. <laughs> Yo! Digging in. Digging in. I love you. Well, listen, we are we are five minutes past time. Let's do a little oh, wrap yeah. up here until next month. Uh, just tell folks once again how to find you and uh, what you're doing and, and keep everybody updated. All right, well, come and check me out at talisong.com. There you're going to find out about all the stuff as it happens. You'll get cover reveals early on. Uh, you know, there's also that section where I've got three short stories. So if you like my fiction writing and want to get some for free, uh, it's right there. You can also get signed copies of The, the Sorceress and the Witch uh, in paperback. Uh, by the way, all of the books in The Sorceress Saga are going to come out on both hard and paperback coming up. I haven't done the, the hardback yeah. versions of the first two yet, but I'm going to. And I'm also going to be working this year on getting my books onto Audible, doing audiobooks for these, because I'm missing a big market there. And I'll tell you, I got uh, from my, one of my Christmas gifts from my mom was a year's worth of Audible. And they gave me all 12 of my credits at once. So I've been, uh, wow. I downloaded, yeah, I downloaded Jonathan Carl's book, Betrayed. That's so good. And Bob Woodward and Bob Costa's book, uh, Peril. That's also really, really good. Um, and lately I've been listening to the first audiobooks I ever heard, which was Star Trek Memories and Star Trek Movie Memories by William Shatner. So I love those. So I'm going to be putting – I've got to find a good voice actor for the audiobooks because all of these books are in first person, and my main character is female. So I've got to find a woman with a killer voice yeah. who uh, is willing to do the first one for kind of cheap because I'm a little broke these days. Um, but, you know, I'm going to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be putting out uh, The Queen in March and coming on here to do a special show with that. Uh, and definitely come and check me out, uh, 
at Talison underscore G on Twitter. I don't have a new fan page up on Facebook yet. The old one was taken over by whoever hacked my old account. I'm going to get a new one of those up for when the new book comes out. Uh, and definitely come and check me out online and uh, keep an eye on my Twitter because uh, as I start getting this house ready, I'm going to be posting pictures. And, you know, Raina, we are going to have many, many guest spots for people to crash here. So when we have our big nice. uh, when we when we have our big uh, housewarming party in June, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve a bed for you so you can come down and party with Yay. all your Starwood organizer peeps. So yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been years. Speaking of of my my Starwood friends, I just want to say I got my copy of um, Ian Corrigan's Novena, and uh, it's awesome. That's all. I always buy Ian's books directly off him uh, because I see him so many times a year. I just do that because I know that uh, even when you self-publish, you wind up making a little more than when you have them do all the shipping and stuff for you. Uh, but, yeah, definitely yeah. Uh, yeah. that's one that I'm going to be getting. Uh, and Ian left a nice review for The Sorceress. He said he's read The Witch. He's going to leave a review for that, too. I just got my first review that's of The right. Witch on on Amazon finally, so that's very nice. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Look, I'm doing a big screen. I'm doing a 4K projection screen theater in my living room. That's a new house with real five speaker surround sound. So uh, you know you're going to have to come down and we'll put on Dark of Moon, and you can see uh, you can see Dark of Moon on a big screen for us. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I did see Dark of Moon the very first time on a very big screen at Starwood. It was wonderful. Oh, just kidding. That was true. Um, so I, Two times I that highly week recommend. Yeah, that's when we met. So anyway, yes. all right, my friend, I am so looking forward to seeing you or speaking with you next month and seeing you over the summer. So you got me all happy and excited now. But anyway, Thank you again, as always, for coming on and hanging with me for the hour and, as usual, talking me back from the ledge. Um, always. Good information always. tonight. I, and I so appreciate you and much love to your family. And uh, hopefully the next time we speak, you will have moved in completely, I hope, or somewhere near it. We'll be a lot closer. Yep. Okay, so we'll a lot well, closer. Thank Thank you so much for coming out and uh, for having me on again, folks. Thank you for coming out and joining us. I will see you next time. Same bad time, same bad station. Towson out. All right. Okay, guys, I will see you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful one. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Get vaccinated if you can. Uh, Look after each other. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.